0: In Matthew 419, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, and welcome to 419. I'm Mark Danzy, your guest, uh, host, actually, <laughs> and you are the guest, and we're so glad that you joined us today as we are wrapping up, finally, this long... Study of the Master Plan. Now, uh, the Master Plan of Evangelism was a book written by Dr. Robert Coleman. It's only like 88 pages or something. But I'm telling you, there's more information and more insight into that little book than most of the large textbooks that we'll uh, look at in our life. It's just Jesus' model of disciple-making based on eight principles or eight points that you and I can emulate in our life to live out the Great Commission as a lifestyle. And so, today we're actually looking at the epilogue. Now, if you're like me, when you read a book, you know, the foreword and the epilogue, you may or may not read it. It seems like something an author just has to put in there. But, you know, the epilogue of this book is as valuable as any of the the main chapters. And so, it's entitled, The Master and Your Plan. It's pretty convicting when you think about Jesus' model and way that he discipled, and then... How that looks in parallel to what we're doing—whether you're a dentist or a or a pastor or a homeschooling mom—it doesn't really matter because we've all been given this great commission. And let me emphasize the word "great." God is great, and He works with us in partnership, uh, in mission, uh, as as uh, in co-mission. And so, when you think about the word commission, think about it as a co-mission. We're in partnership in mission together with Jesus. So if I were to ask you the question today, what is the plan of your life? Well, you know, we could go to the grocery store and, and look at the Christian book carousel, I guess, and find, you know, half the books are on purpose and uh, for your life and all that stuff. And so I think Amazon's over 300,000 books on pur- something to do with purpose. But specifically, if you were looking at what is God's purpose for my life, um, that's really what we're going to be addressing today. Now, this isn't a... A quick fix template to find, you know, the, the one thing that you're created to do. But if the Great Commission is not in the plan, then I think we're missing something. If we love Jesus, of course. And so when I ask you, what is the plan f- of your life? Um, think about it this way. A plan is an organizing principle around which the aim of your life is carried out. What are the principles of your life? Some in the coaching world, we would say, what are the values that you hold dear you resonate with. But in this particular instance, we're talking about what are the organizing organizing principle around which the aim of your life is carried out? Well, you may know that off the top of your head, and you may have just smiled and written it down, or maybe it's something that is uh, an area of your life that you're going to begin to look into. Well, everybody's style may be different. Of course, we're different. That's the beauty of God's creation. But we must find a way to incorporate Jesus's method into our world, even with our own distinct personality and experiences, those abilities that we have and the, the things that are the passion of our life. How would we take the Great Commission into our life and into our world so that it looked somewhat like what Jesus did with those disciples? Well, I think that's the great, the great experiment. And so Jesus gives us an outline to follow, but he expects us to work it out the details according to our circumstances and maybe even our traditions. Maybe you come from a very traditional religious background, or maybe you come from a uh, a background that's that's much more modern and contemporary and with less structure. Uh, it doesn't really matter. The question is: Is how are we going to live Jesus's principle, principles out in our own? Traditions and circumstances, and I would encourage you to just be creative, as long as you, as long as the result matches Jesus's commandments and commission. In Stephen Machia's book, we we interviewed Stephen uh, several several weeks ago, and boy, if you get a chance to go back and look at that one, it was, or listen to that one, it was pretty insightful. He's a brilliant man, and in the book that he wrote on crafting a rule of life, he lists in one of the chapters there that there are three basic things that we must consider when we're developing. Our plan, and he talks about the the great commandment. Or excuse me, yeah, the great commandment, and then the second great commandment, and then the great commission. So there are three things. If you're taking notes, the first great commandment is basically what Jesus tells us uh, when he's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy six, and he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." So the first great commandment is that just love the Lord your God with all of your being. The second great commandment, though, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what I like to teach folks and children, and of course I even teach my discipleship groups this, because sometimes they act like children. (laughs) Just kidding, guys. Is if you look at the shape of a cross, you basically see these two commandments there. The vertical, ground to, to sky, is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the horizontal beam that goes parallel is loving your neighbor as yourself. And so even in the cross, we can see the two great uh, commandments. But then the third is the great commission, to make disciples of Jesus. So if you were to build out a simple plan, say, and you looked at the, um, these two, you would say there's a three-part plan. The first would be love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, of course. Love your neighbors yourself, and then make disciples. And each one of those deserve attention in their own merit. Each one of those deserve our attention to figure out how to do that. Because think about it, the way we do it may be the very system or model that we pass on to our children or to those that we're discipling. So if we're going to lead others to live these three action items in Christ, uh, we've got to do a few things as we're developing our plan. And um, first, we have to seek people for Christ. Now, one of the things that I've heard for years from people saying, well, I don't know who to share my faith with. (laughs) Listen, if you want to see a prayer answered immediately. It's it's a hundred percent. Pray for God to send somebody into your life that you can share the good news of Jesus with. Well, if you pray that, watch out. It's going to happen. And so we begin to pray in our prayers. I like to say if you preach the gospel to yourself every morning, you'll have no problem sharing it with other people. But we first have to seek people to share Christ with. Then we have to do it. Number step two, we have to literally invite people to a life with Jesus. We can share with them our life and the decision we made, but we also have to draw a line in the sand. Ask them about their relationship with God and have they ever made that commitment and see what happens. Listen, God is deeply, deeply interested in winning the world to himself, but he doesn't just show up on his own a lot of times. He sends people like you and me into those people's lives into our friends, into our family, into absolute strangers that we might meet. So we have to first seek people for Christ. Second, win people to Christ. Third, work for people who have come to Christ. We have to, when somebody comes to Christ, faith in Christ, it's almost like a baby. You know, parents wouldn't have a baby and then just leave it in the hospital waiting room. They would take it home and care for it and grow it and feed it and nurture it. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. We have to work with people who have come to Christ to get them to a place of maturity so that they can begin to feed themselves. You know, that's really the litmus test, isn't it? Of maturity, of whether it's physical growth or spiritual growth. You know, physical babies can't feed themselves, they need help. But once they become adults, they can feed themselves. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. Spiritual babies can't feed themselves, they need others. But once we become spiritual adults, we don't rely on others for food. We rely on our, what we know about Christ. We can feed ourselves. But now we've been asked to go back and help feed others. The fourth step is to train people to follow Jesus, not only to gain in spiritual growth, to become mature, but what does it mean to, f- to follow Jesus truly? It means to live like he lived, to talk like he talked, to value the things that he valued, And there in the Sermon on the Mount, it's actually 10 values that God holds dear that you and I can study. And in doing that, it would be a good idea for us to know what those are and to train others into knowing what those are. And then also, we want to pray for them, finally, the fifth thing, for them to fully surrender to the four calls of Christ. This is salvation, lordship, discipleship, and disciple making. It would be a shame to answer three of the four calls, wouldn't it? Or two of the four calls? Or just one of the four calls? No, what we our goal is is to help people answer the four calls of Christ, but all of these steps actually start usually in a small way with just a few. I mean, it's better to give a couple years to a few people in disciple making than to spend a lifetime trying to reach and train a whole congregation to birth and keep programs alive. Now, I may be speaking more to pastors here or ministry leaders, but I want to challenge you with a with a mindset. If you were to commit your life to investing in two or three people that would go on into leadership, whether it be in the business world or education world or religious world, it would bear more fruit than trying to keep all these programs alive that were birthed, whether before us or during us, that really bear very little fruit in comparison. How do we know this? Well, there's a quote by Billy Graham in the book, and of course we all respect his life. I mean, he finished well, certainly, and certainly has left his mark on the kingdom of God here on earth, and Lord knows what all is happening in heaven. But he was asked one time, if you were a pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would be your plan of action for making disciples of Jesus? And Graham responded, I think the first things I would do would to get be to get a small group of eight to ten people together for a few hours a week and pay the price. It would cost them something in time and effort. I would share with them everything I have learned over a period of years. I would then charge them with replicating the same to their eight to ten people. Graham goes on to say that Christ himself set this pattern. He spent most of his time with these 12 men. Every time he had a great crowd, we don't really see many results. The greatest results came in the time he spent with those 12. So for you and I to invest our life into one or two or three other people, um, we got to have expectations for those that are in our group. And the expectation is not that they would just learn more things. It's not information. The expectation is transformation. Now let me tell you the fuel to a disciple maker. Fuel for a disciple maker is when somebody comes up to you. Let's say it's the wife of someone you're discipling, or if you're discipling women, maybe it's their husband. And they say things like I've heard before that just encourage me so greatly. They say, I don't know exactly what you're doing in that group, but please keep doing it because I'm married to a different person. My husband has changed. Listen, when you hear that, you realize that it's not about the transfer of information. It's about a life being transformed that's evident not only in the group and in their environment, but in their home, in their deepest relationship. So we've got to expect those things from those that are in our group. And this will require supervision and patience. Oh my goodness, if I could wish something upon all of you in disciple-making, it would be patience. For some people, in a year or two, they get it and they become disciple-makers for life. There are others that you will disciple in your first group, you will carry them into your second group, (laughs) and even by your third group, wonder what's taking so long. It's like the 30-year-old that still lives in their parents' basement and they just can't seem to figure out how to live on their own. It's okay. It's going to require patience, but the seeds there can produce incredible maturity. It will just take longer and we just got to keep investing in them. You know Matthew 6:33, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Is still the goal of all believers that with our life we would seek first the kingdom of God. This means that we're not living primarily for the present. See, our satisfaction must arise as we think of future generations who will follow Christ. This commitment that you and I are making to be disciples who make disciples, it's not for us. It's for the generations to come. It's investing in the future. And none of us get to decide actually how our story is told or what our legacy will actually be. Others will tell that that story. But we can certainly contribute greatly to that story. And so the goal of having, say, I'll use a familial term, having spiritual children. But what about having spiritual grandchildren or spiritual great-grandchildren? That's the fourth generation Paul talks about in Timothy's Charge in 2 Timothy 2.2. So as we wrap up this 10-week study that you've been so faithful to, and if you've missed one or two, go back and listen to them, I'd encourage you to buy this book uh, from Dr. Coleman, and then use it in starting a group. Just put three or four people together and say, hey, would you be interested in reading this group? And then I'm going to gather some folks in my home or at a coffee shop, and we'll just discuss it. Chances are some will say yes to that. Or maybe if you're in a discipleship group, this is a great book if you take the summers off from the group to have them read and then come back and everybody discuss it. It's a wonderful book. I am forever... uh, indebted to Dr. Robert Coleman for writing this little book that that really has transformed the way I do ministry and do life. Dr. Coleman, if by chance you ever listen to this, I just want to say to you, thank you. And finally, I'll leave you with the words of Dr. Coleman himself when he says here in the epilogue, the world is desperately seeking someone to follow. That they will follow someone is certain, but will that person be one who knows the way of Christ? Or will he or she be one like themselves, leading them only into greater darkness? This is the decisive question of our plan of life. The relevance of all that we do waits on its verdict. And in turn, the destiny of the multitudes hangs in the balance. What a sobering charge for us to take very serious what it means to live out the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to live out the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, to live out the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And he will be with us to the very end of the age. So to wrap this up, if you were to develop your plan, here are eight things that I would include in that plan. Number one, selection. Begin to pray for God to send people into your life And when he does, write their names down and begin to pray daily for them. Over a period of four to six months, maybe longer, maybe shorter, just begin to associate with these people. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to coffee. Invite them to take a walk in the park. Invite them to golf. Invite them to your home. And then just associate with them. Hang around with them and get to know them better. Listen to their heart. Then, consecration. Set them apart. Invite them into a group or to an experience that you're going to be doing and see if it would work for them. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, be imparted into their life, that in a very new and vibrant and real way, that they would commit to this group experience. And in this group experience, pray that they are transformed by the power of the Spirit, that the Creator of the universe lives in our bodies, and pray for them, that they would be filled with the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Next, I would demonstrate for them everything you know about living for Jesus, your favorite passages of Scripture and the passages you understand the least, the way you pray, the way you share your faith, the way you deal with your finances, the way you deal with marriage or your children or your singleness. Demonstrate for them. Don't tell them. Show them how to study the Bible, how to memorize Scripture, all the things that are key to being a disciple of Jesus. Then delegate to them to do the same and hold them accountable for it. Say things like, next week we're all going to come in here having memorized... um, John 6, And when you come in, we're going to all turn to each other, and we're going to quote that scripture. And each week, begin to put, to delegate to them uh, responsibilities. The next one would be to supervise them. Find out when you've delegated things, how they're doing with that, uh, how they can do it better. Um, celebrate what they're doing really well. And then finally, expect reproduction. Now, the people that you're discipling may double back and say, I'm not called to being a group leader, that's okay. Then expect them to reproduce their life in the life of one other person. Uh, Spiritual reproduction is the goal from the very beginning. This was the master's plan, and it must be our plan too. God bless you as you venture out into being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. I pray for your spiritual children, your spiritual grandchildren, and your spiritual great-grandchildren that they would rise and call you blessed. Uh, if you need help or encouragement, go to 419disciplemakers.org. Lots of resources there for you. Uh, also, if you would invite a friend, listen to this podcast. Uh, give us your feedback. What's working for you, what's not working for you? And be ready, because as we end this study, we're going to be going back into interviewing folks who are disciple makers. And if you're aware of someone that you think would be a great guest on this show, email that to me if you would. And... Um, We would love—you can go to our website, 419DiscipleMakers.org. You can contact us through there. We would love to interview folks that you know that are out there living out the Great Commission. God bless you, and I look forward to next week. For more information, check out our website, 419DiscipleMakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 DiscipleMakers podcast.